Okay, well, let's get started. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your grace, your power, and your Son, who is also a faithful high priest for us. Man, what a, what a, what a deal we have. I pray as we delve into this this morning, you just overwhelm us with the privilege that we have of, of uh, interacting with the Son and the High Priest and following the Son and the High Priest. Lord, help us not neglect what uh, You've done for us and embrace it wholeheartedly. And inspire us this morning, please, Lord, to, to, to do that in a, in a way that's... In a way that's uh, that gives us life like you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in Hebrews now for three weeks. And we've seen that Jesus is the Son. And the Son is a reward title. Jesus is not an offspring Son. That's another way the word is used uh, in the Scripture. But what we've seen is Jesus is the Son in the sense of a, of a reward given by a high king to a lesser king to say, I'm adopting you as the son, as, a, as my son. Today I have begotten you. I shall be to you a father and you shall be to me a son. A very conventional uh, uh, ancient formula for a reward to a faithful servant elevating them to a position of authority. And Jesus is that son. And he's a son by inheritance. And we looked at this Greek word for inheritance last week that is the unpronounceable word that starts with a K. Kleronomeo. Kleronomeo. And we looked at sometimes... This possession, you could you could always substitute the word possession for inheritance. And uh, sometimes this possession is a gift, an unmerited gift, as when God gave Abraham the land. And sometimes this possession is a reward. And Jesus uh, already had all these possessions from the standpoint of uh, being the creator of the universe. But he was given this title of son because of faithfulness. It was a reward through inheritance. We've seen that Jesus is has brought us salvation. And the particular salvation in view in the book of Hebrews is the salvation from death the salvation from the separation that we as humans have from creation. When Adam sinned, death entered the world, and we were separated from one another. We were separated from God. We were separated from the animal kingdom. We were separated from our work, our relationships, uh, marriage, Separation entered the world. And one of the things we were separated from is our calling. And we saw in Psalm 8, which is quoted extensively in Hebrews chapter 2, we saw in Psalm 8 that man was created a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honor. And the glory and honor that man was crowned with was to rule the earth, in perfect harmony with God and one another. But in chapter 2, verse uh, 9, the understatement of the universe is stated. But we... um, Sorry, verse 8. But now we do not yet see all things put under Him. Boy, is that ever the case. All of this harmony and all of this ruling that we're supposed to be doing is not happening. There are many futile attempts to make it happen and have been all through history. Uh, Genghis Khan wanted to unite the world. Uh, The Pharaoh of Egypt wanted to unite the world. Uh, Hitler wanted to unite the world. 
The communists wanted to unite the world. The Romans wanted to unite the world. Uh, The Persian king wanted to unite the world. Alexander the Great wanted to unite the world. They didn't work out too well in any of those cases. Instead of perfect harmony, you got tyranny. And it's because we do not see this right now. It's not happening. But verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, became man. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Jesus has received as a reward sonship, kingship of the world and the universe because he's tasted death for every man. And then in verse 10, we saw last week it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and whom. Uh, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. It was our purpose in being created to be sons, to be rulers, to be the ones in authority. But death entered the world. And that was disintermediated by the fall. But Jesus' purpose is to restore that. And remember, this reward of the inheritance to be a son is just that. It's a reward. So the salvation we're talking about in Hebrews is not the salvation from not, not, have been, not being born in God's family. That's a gift. What we're talking about is restoration to our original purpose and intent. The fulfillment of what it means to be human. We saw last week that um, this phrase, it was appropriate, it was fitting for him to be the captain of our salvation. And, and, and he did that by being perfect through sufferings. And we looked at this word perfection, teleosis or teleosi. We get our word telescope from this word. And it's the idea of looking out to the end. Seeing the end. And we looked at this word and many of its uses as completion, finishing. And uh, Brandon pointed out that this captain word is a first or leader. So we see Jesus the first and the last. In terms of bringing us to salvation, he's the second Adam. He's the first and he's the last. And he's the one that's going to bring us to restoration of our purpose as humans because He tasted death for everyone. So, we've got the Son who possessed the reward of being a Son because of His faithfulness, obedience to even to death on the cross. Therefore, He's exalted above every name, set at the right hand of the Father, And He's inviting us to participate with Him. He wants to bring many sons to glory. But it's not going to happen if we neglect this salvation. So, that's the introduction. And if you're going to solve that dilemma, which we looked last week in Hebrews 10. Let's just turn there again. This is where we left off. Hebrews 10, chapter 35, recalling that the Hebrews here were Jews, practicing Jews, Jews that believed in Jesus as Messiah, we've we've shown in Acts, continued to practice Judaism faithfully all throughout. They never stopped temple sacrifice or any of those things. And that was never an issue. In Acts 15, we've shown that uh, the Jewish practices were... Um, allowed and the Gentiles were freed from those practices but the unity was by grace through faith so we've shown that these are Hebrew uh, Christians in chapter 10 verse 32 we see the history of this author who's very familiar with these people writing a letter of great familiarity and he says but recall the former days 
in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Okay? Jesus was perfected. He was brought to completion through sufferings and crowned with glory and honor through the suffering of death. Well, you had sufferings, friends, that I'm writing this letter to, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were treated. So you had two kinds of sufferings. One was sufferings that you endured yourself personally, and the other was sufferings that you endured along with other believers. For you had compassion on me and my chains. Again, a letter of familiarity. The writer here has been in chains, and he's being ministered to by the, by the recipients here. And here's the key phrase. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Why would someone have their goods plundered and be happy about it? It's because they know that they have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So, if you've got a writer here, writing to people who understand sufferings, they understand that going through sufferings is a something that brings joy because of a better endurance. And now they're getting hard of hearing. They've kind of forgotten what they knew. They are not listening to what Jesus, the captain of their faith, has told them. They're in the process of drifting away. What's the very first thing that you want to nail down with these people as you start to tell them how not to drift away? Let's look at chapter 3. Verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren. Now again, these are Jews who have believed in Jesus as Messiah. They've suffered. They were glad that they lost their possessions because they know they have a more enduring possession in heaven. We're not trying to convert anybody here. Uh, We're not trying to get anybody that moved from Judaism to being a Baptist to prevent them from going back into Judaism again. Okay, They're Jews. They stayed Jews. The, the early church was very Jewish. What we're talking about here is holy brethren who are drifting away from this immense reward. We tend, as Americans, Christian, Christians and evangelicals, to greatly diminish this whole talk of reward. Um, it, it, we tend to just have this, if you can just get a ticket to get in, that's the whole thing, sort of uh, orientation. And e- even jokingly, people will say, well, you know, i got to go to church so I can go to heaven type of statements. Um, but that's really not the perspective the Scripture has. The get into heaven thing is uh, seldom mentioned, really. Uh, it's, it's, so, it's, it's like when we're at a dinner party, you very seldom will hear someone say, you know, I just can't believe I was born. You know, I was just thinking about yesterday, and I have a mom and a dad. I came out of my mom's womb. Can you believe it? I don't even remember it, and it happened. It would be appropriate to have that conversation because it is a a genuine miracle. But we just kind of take it for granted, don't we, that we're born? What we tend to talk about is where we're at today and where we're going. Uh, We talk about things that have to do with growing up. We're all still growing up. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. We're all all partakers here. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. The way you prevent drifting away is to keep your focus on the right thing. And you keep your focus on the captain. Keep your focus on the apostle, the the, uh, messenger. You keep your focus on the high priest. Now this high priest thing is really the focus of Hebrews. 
We haven't even talked about that yet. We've mostly just been getting vocabulary and Jewish perspective down. But today, we're ready to start talking about Jesus, the high priest. Now, this is a really big deal. And uh, I'm going to give you some kind of theories that are, you know, take them or leave them. They may be wrong. But I, I would postulate that we as humans actually like legalism. We prefer it. I um, hear people talk about preachers, and one of the things they'll say about the preacher, about liking them, is essentially the preacher makes them feel guilty when they go. Um, I, I just what pops into my head is a sermon that I heard a guy give where he was kind of chastising the people in the audience. This was a guy from Texas. He was chastising the people in the audience for buying a car that had uh, uh, heated seats. You know, if you're in Texas, there's not a lot of need for heated seats. And he, he was given a, a, a sermon on money and stewardship. Well, I think people like that sort of thing. I think they like to be made feel guilty. Because... We all kind of know things are broken. We kind of know that more is needed. We kind of know that we should be heading in a certain direction to this completion. This this fall thing that we're we're not where we're supposed to be and and we need restoration. It's something that's very deeply ingrained. It's, it's, It's part of who we are as people. We understand that. And our preference is to have something minuscule that we can control and do. Now, we don't intend to actually do it. Okay, We're still going to buy a car with the heated seats. But at least we know that all we would have to do is not buy a car with heated seats and then we'd be okay. Okay, I grew up in a denomination that was immensely legalistic. Um, we had all kinds of rules. Couldn't go to movies. Could watch them on TV, but couldn't go to the movie show. Um, couldn't wear makeup if you're a, fe- a woman or pants. If you're a male, you couldn't wear bell-bottom pants. More or less, you had to be 15 years out of fashion. You know, it was kind of kind of was the general principle. Um, you, uh, of course, couldn't say curse words or or uh, uh, use tobacco, this sort of thing. And that was kind of a sign of whether you're really saved or not. It's kind of the way it was presented. Well, you could stab people in the back and gossip. Uh, you could, uh, you know, character assassination. All those things were fine. And so you can see how that would be attractive to someone, right? Because you could, you could find a group, a legalistic group, that excludes the things that you don't want to do anyway and uh, accepts the things that you, the sins that you like, and that allows you a safe haven for the things you want to do in sin, and it elevates you above the people that don't do the things that you don't do, or that do the things you don't do, and you can now condemn, set in condemnation on them, and it feels good. So now you've restored yourself. I've put myself up on this pedestal to restore myself to the right hand, to restore myself to being a son and a ruler, by making rules and condemning other people. I think, I think we like legalism for this reason. And that's the sort of thing the Hebrews were drifting into. And in their particular case, their form of legalism was religious worship, religious activity. We've got, we've got the same version of that in evangelical Christianity. In the Bible churches, it tends to be uh, uh, under the category of devotions. Um, you're, uh, it's not unusual to have a conversation kind of in our little category of what your spiritual life is like to know what your devotional life is like. Now, it doesn't matter whether you actually, whatever you studied, that you actually do it during the day. What it is is just, did you get up at five in the morning? Four is even more spiritual. Three, 
but you know if you do that then you're a night owl and it's not good so there's this point where it's you know doesn't count anymore it's early rising that counts and meticulous notes counts and how much time you do counts and how systematic you are count as a matter of fact just to be a fact finder follow through type person is really spiritual that's that's kind of what it boils down to well of course that's all kind of specious But we prefer this because it's something we feel like we can control. And even if I don't do it, it's something I could do. Well, that's all blown out of the water here in Hebrews. Neglecting, that's actually neglecting our salvation. Because who's the Savior? Who's going to deliver us from this futility that we're in and restore us to sonship? It's Jesus. And how is He going to do it? Two ways. Suffering of death, He Himself has been restored to sonship. And the other thing He's going to do is bring many sons to glory. Us if we participate. Us if we will. And since we can't do it, because we can't perfect ourselves, and we can't even make it through, He'll do it as the high priest. And this is what we're going to be talking about in Hebrews. Let's don't rely on our own plans. Let's don't rely on our own efforts. Let's keep our focus on the high priest. So, today, what we're going to do is focus on Psalm 110. Next week, we'll get into chapter 3 here. Psalm 110 is kind of the is one of the other psalms that this book focuses on. We keep we're going to as we go through Hebrews, we're going to keep going back to the Old Testament because again, we're talking to this letter's written to people who probably knew everything we're going to talk about uh, verbatim by heart. They learned it in Jewish Awanas. In Jewish Awanas, you learn the whole Bible, not just individual verses. And so these guys are steeped in this vocabulary. They're steeped in this understanding. We have to stop and say, what do they mean? They would have known exactly what all this means when it comes up. Psalm 110. So let's uh, let's turn to Psalm 110, if you would. Sounds like everybody's ahead of me already. Psalm 110. It's very short. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, He shall lift up the head. I'm going to challenge David to make a song with the Lord will execute kings in the day of his wrath and fill up places with dead bodies and execute the heads of many countries. So what kind of what kind of what sort of tune would you use with that? The Lord will execute people. Chop off people's heads. I don't, I don't know. It's, we we don't we don't tend to focus on this so much and what well, and this is what uh, Dr. Anderson was talking about last week. It doesn't necessarily say in the Hebrew, you will execute the heads of many countries. It says, the, speaking of one person, right. The ruler of all the countries. Very good. The head of... We don't tend to talk about this sort of thing. As a matter of fact, you actually get people that say that the Bible... Uh, is like you have an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, and the Old Testament God is wrathful and vengeful, but then he kind of you know softened and grew, and and then the New Testament God he's touchy feely, you know. Well, you, that's you just got to read Revelation. 
Jesus comes back again with a horse and a sword and a whole army and kills a bunch of people. Okay? And uh, it's, it's Joshua again. Joshua means Jesus. Okay? He's coming back again. And this is what is in front of us. Jesus as king. Well, let's look at this psalm for a minute. Uh, what you'll learn to see, once you learn this chiastic structure, you'll start seeing it everywhere. Now, a chiasm is something that uh, has a mirror image. Okay, So it'll go A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. So it, it, it'll have a point A, and the point A is repeated last in the poem. And then point B, second point, and then it'll be repeated next to last. Point C, third point, it'll be repeated third from last. Point D is repeated again immediately, and it's the main point of the chiasm. It's called chiasm because of an X. Okay, so it goes in and then out. X chi is a letter X in Greek. We went to the uh, uh, what's it called Museum of the Book, something like that. And in, in what is it? Museum of the Scroll, Museum of the Scroll in Jerusalem, and uh, we had started learning this chiasm stuff. And my wife come running to me and said, come look, come look. So we went to this uh, display, and there's this codex, I think they call it, which is a, uh, a manuscript from about a 1,000 years old. And they had it open to a page. I don't know. I, it was in the middle, so I presume it was Psalms. Uh, I can't read Hebrew, so I'm not sure what it was. And they had on this page was actually... Uh, transcribed and it looked like an X. So they had put the the entire psalm was chiastic and they had actually written it in such a way that it came to a point and then went back out again when they, when they actually hand wrote it. It's a very, very common poetic form. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is, uh, the Beatitudes, sorry, is a chiastic structure. The uh, Lord's Prayer, I think, is a chiastic structure. Matter of fact, once you start seeing this, it's pretty much uh, everywhere. Okay, and it can be A B B A, very short, or it can be A B C D F G H I J K M L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z, Z primes, and then whatever the alphabet is backwards. You know, it can be short or long. Well, in this case, uh, there's some there's some uh, debate about what how the chiastic structure breaks down, but uh, I'm going to tell you what Dr. Anderson says. I like his uh, formulation. So, one in seven would be A and A. 2 and 3 and 5 and 6 would be B and B. And 4 is C. Uh, or, or C and C, whichever it is. Okay? So, uh, Psalm 110, uh, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. What's the, what's the point of that uh, verse? What's the point of that verse? What's, what's, what, what, who's the Lord and who's my Lord? God said to Christ. God said to Christ. God said to Christ. And what did God say to Christ? Okay. What is it? Sit at, right Sit at my right hand. What does that mean? Sit at my right hand. Who sits at the right hand of the great King? The Son. Okay. You're my Son. And what? And what are you waiting to do? And, and I'm going to put all your enemies at you. So that we're waiting, right? There's a time lag. So Jesus is king here, and he's waiting. Jesus is a king. He's already enthroned, but the enemies aren't all defeated yet. And the last enemy he'll defeat is? Death. Death, yeah. Okay, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Okay, then let's look at verse 7 is a repeat. This one I, I had to get some help on. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. Lift up the head is a is a uh, an elevation. The idea of lifting up the head is being elevated. And there's some conversation about what this drink from the brook is. Dr. Anderson says uh, his best take is that drinking by the brook is a very human thing to do, a dependent thing to do. You only drink if you're thirsty, right? And Jesus, the God-man, came and was dependent and yet was elevated. So we have Jesus as king, enthroned, waiting his time. Jesus as the God-man who was elevated. So there's the par- that's the first parallel. And then two and three, we have the idea of Jesus conquering. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength 
out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. That's a very interesting thing, right? Jesus will be conquering, and who, what's his army going to be? Volunteers. I don't, I, don't you find that interesting? It could be that this whole servant king thing is part is, is putting us in a position where we understand enough to want to volunteer. That, that, that could be a part of it. We have sufficient insight and capability of responding. And, I, you know, I, I've noticed that throughout my life as I grow in Christ and, and gain capability. Uh, my flesh comes right along with me and tries to find th- other ways to knock me off, new ways to knock me off. But I also find that my, my capacity for responsiveness grows. So we have Jesus as conqueror here in 2 and 3. And in 5 and 6, we have what the conqueror will do. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. Once you conquer, what do you do? You judge. And then right in the middle, which is, remember in a chiastic structure, the center thing is the main point. We've got Jesus as king. Jesus as a dependent man, elevated. He conquers. He judges. All that has to do with sonship and ruling and taking the kingdom. And right in the middle, we have chapter 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that whole framework becomes kind of the centerpiece of uh, Hebrews. Now before we go and I show you all the incidences of Psalm 110 in Hebrews, I want to take a little bit of a interlude and I want to show you some incidences of Psalm 110 in the Gospels because you're more familiar with this probably than than you think. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Yeah. You are a priest. Yeah, that refers to Christ, not David. That's Jesus. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus. And that will be repeated often in Hebrews. Okay. Let's look at Matthew 22, verse 44. And what you'll remember is that Jesus used this psalm to stump people with. This was one of his main uh, proof texts that he's he's the Messiah. Because remember, the Jews' rejection of Jesus was on the basis of what? That the Messiah had to be what? Son of David, not the Son of God. Okay, had to be a man. Because there's only one God, right? And Jesus uses this to stump them. Let's look at 22:41. Let's start with 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? Now, we understand son, right? The Pharisees are probably thinking uh, human father. Uh, Jesus is probably thinking otherwise. And they said, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Okay, you get that? Can you imagine calling your, your child God? Okay, uh, Tom, can you imagine saying to David, uh, God, would you please do this for me? David could imagine that. Yeah, David maybe. Okay. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of goofy sounding, right? But he's saying, okay, then how does it David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. So if he's a, a human offspring of David, then how does he also God? That's the question to the Pharisees. And what do they do? What do they do in response to this dilemma? No one was able to answer him a word, and from that day on, They didn't question him anymore. They didn't change their mind. They didn't change their intent. They said they're still decided we got to get rid of this guy. But instead of listening when they're challenged, instead of having the opportunity to change and follow the high priest, they followed their own plan. Yeah, Matt. I think it's also important to to realize where it says the Lord said to my Lord. There's two different words in Hebrew. There, it's actually Yahweh says to Adonai. 
sit at my right. Yahweh side. says to Adonai. Yeah. Okay. So Yahweh, of course, is the eternal name of God, and then Adonai is what, like Sarah would even tell Abraham. Okay. You are my Lord. You know, right. the Lord could be used in that way. So it just never was ever used as a son. You know, dad doesn't tell a son, you're my Lord. Okay. Yeah. So, so your point would be the Hebrews would understand completely what Jesus is saying here. Okay. Good. Well, let's go to Mark 12, 36. Mark 12:36. I think this is a different episode, although I'm not sure. Starting 35, Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, that sounds like a different. This sounds like a different geographic location, although it could be the same thing. My guess is that the disciples heard this many, many times, not just once or twice. I, I, my guess is they heard this same basic argument over and over and over again. So he says, and while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord, how how then is he son? Well, the answer is he's not just human offspring. He is the king. He's elevated as God. Now, interesting here, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't ever seem to give the answer. He asks the question. He's wanting people to respond to Him. And the common people heard Him gladly. (laughs) That's really an awesome thing to hear. Luke 20, 42. Luke 20, 42. It tends to be us uppity people that have our own theories. Luke 20:42 Starting 41 and he said to them, "How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord, how is he then his son?" So at the three gospels we have this Basic argument repeated. That tells you something, right? This is a really important argument. This is a really important psalm. And then again in Acts. Acts chapter 2. And this is Peter's sermon to the Jews. And the setting is the Pentecost. After the, the Spirit came down and there's a roar and people are speaking in tongues and so forth. We can start in uh, chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. So this is Peter's speech. And if we skip down then to uh, 34, he says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Tell your enemies, till I make your enemies a footstool. And his point here is that this one's still living and David is dead. Okay, this one's still living. He's risen. And this is the Messiah, and this is who you need to believe in. Psalm 110. A really pivotal psalm. Well, let's look at Psalm 110 in Hebrews. And first, let's just look at the either uh, quotes of Psalm 110 in Hebrews. Or let's look at the um, instances where it is alluded to. Verse 1 shows up four different places in uh, Hebrews. Verse 1 of Psalm 110. First we have uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. And chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, who in being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, what did He do? Sat down. Psalm 110, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, sorry, imagery. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Okay? Chapter um, 
Psalm 110, chapter, uh, verse 1, imagery, setting, setting down at the right hand. Hebrews 10, verse 12 and 13. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice of sins forever, what did he do? Sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made a footstool. That's Psalm 110, chapter 1. And finally, 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, this goes all the way through the uh, book of Hebrews. And then verse 4 is alluded to even more. Verse 1, sit down at the right hand of the Father, make sit and wait for your enemies and until I make your enemies a footstool. Chapter, I mean, sorry, verse 1. Verse 4, you remember, is the centerpiece of the chiasm. Jesus is the son, he's the conqueror, he's the judge, he's the deliverer, but he's also the high priest. And in Hebrews, that's the main focus. The main focus is on high priest. Why? Because that's who's going to help us get restored to what we were intended to be, sons. The way Jesus brings many sons to glory is He clears the path. He defeats death. But then we come through the path both because we see His example that we can follow and because He'll walk beside us as the high priest. So verse 4, we see it alluded to. Chapter 5, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6, starting verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest, but it was He who said to Him, You're my Son, today I've begotten you. As He also said in another place, You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 5.10 Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Also 6.20 Starting 19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We're going to learn all kinds of things about Melchizedek. In fact, the author here is going to say, Paul, I'm going to just say it's Paul. Paul says, uh, I want to tell you all about Melchizedek, but you've got a hearing problem. Okay, And then he kind of chastises them for being deaf. And then he says, we're going to leave elementary things. We're going to leave behind like judgment and baptism and salvation by grace through faith and all that. That's elementary stuff. The advanced course is Melchizedek. Why? Because Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest and a king. And a perpetual priest and king. So that's what we're going to learn about Melchizedek. It's a big deal. 7-3. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, Salem means peace. Without father or mother, remains a priest perpetually. 7-17. For he testifies, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 721. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see some repetition here? What, 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 what happens when uh, an author is repeating, repeating, repeating? What's that tell you? It's, just, it's a big point, right? This is the point he's trying to make. We have a high priest. Don't put your confidence in religious practice. Don't put your confidence in Self-reformation. Don't put your confidence in legalism, which is another form of self-justification. Don't put your confidence in that. That throws you off track. That's not the path Jesus paved for us. Put your faith in the Son and His ministry as high priest. And He's going to tell us how to access that ministry as high priest. That's going to be the focal point of this whole book. That's what. That's where we're challenged personally to say, and here's how you do it.
Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, high priest. How do we access it? We're going to go into this in great detail. But the way we access it is by accessing it. And it's available to us by just asking. He says, approach boldly the throne of grace to find help in time of need. But what do we need help for? Now we tend to approach the throne boldly to find help to make our circumstances what we want them to be, don't we? Or to make pain go away. And that's fine. But that's not where Hebrews is going to take us. The real help we need is to have our consciences cleared by the blood of Jesus so that we can be ready to do the works that He prepared beforehand. That's the real need. Why? Well, that's how we get restored to what God intended us to be. To bring many sons to glory. We all have deeply embedded in us the desire to be a hero. The desire to be president. The desire to be a princess. The desire to do something great. All of us have had that squashed in various ways by the realities of life. But that's a false squashing. Because God placed that desire within us because He wants to fulfill it. And our problem is our definition of greatness. Greatness in the eyes of the world is actually not greatness at all. The ruler of this world right now is still Satan. Satan's idea of greatness is to elevate himself above God. When we do legalism, when we do various forms of self-justification, including religious activities, we elevate ourselves. That's actually lowering ourselves. But when we do the works that God prepared beforehand, when we follow the path that Jesus followed, who for the suffering of death endured the cross in obedience to His Father, when we follow this path of obedience, He's promised us that He'll restore us to all these deep desires being fulfilled in reality way beyond anything we could ever imagine as children. And what's standing in our way is sin. And what we need is a clear conscience. And it's available. What we need is help. And it's available. And the reason it's available is because Jesus tore the veil. And that was His own body and made the access to the Holy of Holies available to us right now. And we can approach. What a spectacular message. We're going to hear repetition, 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 repetition. Why are we going to hear repetition? It's important. Why else are we going to hear repetition? We're dense. We're hard of hearing. Okay? This is... It's hard. It's easy... Okay, it's easy stuff, but it's hard. It's hard because we're fallen. And we want to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. And we want to elevate ourselves. We want to lower the high priest down to our level. And we much prefer a human high priest that can do a sacrifice and rely on that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that if it's a symbol that takes us to the real thing. Okay? There's nothing wrong with Bible study. We're doing Bible study right now. If it's a means to get to the real thing. But it's not an end unto itself. This, this, this word is not a gold ephod that we're supposed to worship. It's a means to an end. And we're going to hear all this repetition because God wants us to be restored. And Jesus wants to bring many sons to glory. He wants a big party. He wants his coronation. He wants to go up on the stage. And then he wants to say, all you guys come up with me. 
and have myriads and multitudes up there with him. That's what he wants. And he's paved the way. And he's ascended to the office that will make it happen. High priest. Pretty cool, huh? Let's pray. God, thanks for the opportunity to boldly approach your throne of grace to find help in time of need. What an amazing message. So easy to get distracted. All the stuff the world throws at us. All the emotions we feel. The hurts. The bitterness. The confusion. It's, uh, It's tough. But boy, thank you that you know what it's like. You've been here, done that. You know exactly what it's like. You're empathetic and you want to help us. Man, what an awesome invitation. God, I pray that you'll just empower us through this study, empower us through our ingestion of your truth and your word, the steps of obedience we take to learn to access this amazing power and this amazing ministry you make available to us all day long, every day. What an amazing opportunity. Help us not neglect it to our own destruction. Help us embrace it. It comes with difficulty and suffering just like you incurred difficulty and suffering because of obedience. But God, help us have the faith like these great heroes of the faith that we're going to study had to actually see the reward that's not yet visible and embrace it. Thank you, God, for these people who've gone before us and their testimony. And as we unravel both the good and the bad, Branch will help us learn from it that we don't have to make the same mistakes, but we can follow the same great examples. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt is going to uh, put these uh, lessons on podcasts for us. So if you miss one, or if you want to pass it along to a friend or something, we'll have that next week, how how to do that. Right beside that. Okay. And I'll take that from you. Thank you. One thing that 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 thank you. One thing that